So have you ever heard a kid say something funny? I mean, just funny, you know? One of your kids or your grandkids, maybe a niece or nephew, maybe the proverbial Eddie Haskell down the road. I mean, just somebody that you know has said something funny and you just laughed. Or maybe you forgot. Like, you know they said something funny and and you laughed really hard, but you do not remember what in the world they said. Well, have no fear. As with everything else in life, there is now an app just for that. The Little Hoots app gives this tagline, your child's story finally has a home, one home. This app, it allows you to take those quotes, those little quips that your child says and and immediately be sure that you keep track of them. You put them in your app and, and then they have all these creative ways that you can put them in pictures and memes and everything else and send them out to your friends and put them on social media. So here's just a few of the latest quotes and quips that have been on the Little Hoots app. Annabelle, age four, when it gets cold outside, my teeth start to chew by themselves. Yeah, that happens. Cam, age four, talking to Kelsey, which I'm assuming might be his sister. Oh no, I got gum in my forehead hair. Those are called eyebrows. Alex, age six, talking to his dad. Right now, peanut butter feels like glue in my mouth. Alex, how do you know what glue in your mouth feels like? Don't ask, Dad. It tastes like salty water and sticky hands. (laughs) This one might be my favorite. Another Alex, age three. Putting on pants doesn't make anything feel better. I mean, can't you hear this conversation? Mommy, I don't feel good. Well, honey, we're running late, so just go ahead and and get dressed and and you'll feel better. And a few seconds later, no, I got my hoodie and my pants on and I do not feel any better. No better. Kids say funny things. Sometimes we remember those funny things and sometimes we forget the funny things that they say. But you know, in the middle of the night, when you're in the middle of a nightmare and it is just controlling you and and rattling your world, you might need something more than than just the Little Hoots app, right? When when you're in the middle of a nightmare, in the middle of the night or the middle of the day or a real-life nightmare, and you're trying to wake up and crawl out of this thing, a cute quote from a kid probably is is not going to do it for you. you. You need something with more punch. So what is that? What is this thing that you need with more punch? And how about this? Even if you have the thing with more punch, how do you know you can still remember it in the middle of the night? Well, let's see if we can answer that question together. Psalm 119, verse 16. The psalmist says, I shall delight in your statutes. What's a statute? Well, the word here means ordinance or regulation. In the city of Lawrence, Kansas, in cooperation with the University of Kansas, there are some good neighbor ordinances. They're designed to help college students, encourage them to be good neighbors and learn neighborly habits. The main areas they cover are pets, bikes, trash, noise, and roommates. One of the ordinances under the trash section reads like this. It is illegal to keep your refrigerator, bike, or TV on your front porch or lawn. 
While these things may not be trash, they still affect your neighborhood's appearance. Can you imagine the difficulty of a midnight snack if your refrigerator is on your front lawn? I don't even know what that ordinance is about. But it goes on in the next part. Furniture may not be kept on your lawn. Small animals will quickly take up residence inside any furniture you leave outside. In other words, small animals are going to live in your furniture on your front lawn, which means that you will be violating the roommate ordinance and your rent is going to go up. So don't leave all of your furniture on the front lawn. Now, why would they do something like this? Why would they set up these ordinances? Well, the idea was to try to keep some order, to set some order. Now, somebody might say order, ordinances, regulations, statutes. I don't like stuff like that. I, 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 like, I like my freedom. I don't want my government putting a statute on my life. I don't, I don't want them telling me what I need to do. I want my refrigerator in the middle of my front yard. You know? I want rats and raccoons living in my lawn furniture. Don't give me a statute. Don't give me an ordinance. Can a government or a school or a business or a church create too many ordinances, too many statutes? Yes, they can. But the statutes of the Lord are nothing like the statutes that we create. One lawmaker described the statutes of the Lord with these words. They are perfect, sure, wise, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous. It's a pretty good list. But then he goes on. They restore the soul. They bring joy to the heart. They last forever. They are more valuable than gold. They are sweeter than honey. And then King David says this about the statutes of the Lord. Psalm 19, verse 11. In keeping them, there is great reward. Not average reward. Not ho-hum, humdrum award. Not a consolation prize. But keeping and embracing the statutes of the Lord comes with great reward. What kind of great reward? Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, In your presence is fullness of joy. And the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In the Lord, wall-to-wall joy. In the Lord, jam-packed joy. In the Lord, ceaseless celebration. Everlasting pleasure. Total and complete satisfaction. All of these things in the Lord. Gross, right? I mean, who wants anything like that? Who wants joy and pleasure forever? Who wants fullness of joy forever? Charles Spurgeon said this, You shall not only have as much joy as you can hold, but that it shall keep on running. You shall be so full of joy that you could not be more happy. You shall have reached the very summit of eternal happiness. And he goes on. What indescribable bliss must this fullness of joy be? You know that when you are full of anything, you cannot put anything else in. I mean, we know this, right? You're going to feel this in about an hour at the buffet, right? you you got no more room. So where there is fullness of joy at God's right hand, no sorrow will ever be able to enter. And then he says this. 
There will not be room for a single doubt there or for a fear. No, not even for one sad memory. There will not be room for a wish. We shall be so full of joy that we shall have all that we could desire. How many, how many wishes have you had this week that, that didn't get filled? How many sad memories have you had this week? How many doubts? How many fears? And yet with the Lord, there won't be room for any of them because we'll be full of joy. And then he says this, every faculty of our body glorified and every power of our soul perfected, the life everlasting shall rush through us and we shall be filled with it, sunk in it as in an ocean of infinite satisfaction and eternal content. See, when we say that the Bible is the word of God, when we say that the Bible contains the statutes of the Lord, what we are saying is that his book is his desire, his choice, his way to help me and you find out and discover what great reward is. Great reward. So what makes it so great? John 3, verse 16 in the Amplified Version for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten, unique son. Why? Why would God do this? Why, why would God give up his only unique son? The rest of the verse tells us. Jesus goes on. So that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction or be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. The great reward of believing in Jesus is that you will not perish. The great reward of believing in Jesus is that death can only sting. The great reward of believing in Jesus is that death and hell cannot capture you. The great reward of believing in Jesus is that you will have abundant, everlasting life. That, that is reward. But how? How do we know any of this is possible? Because Jesus gave himself up for you. That's what he did. Jesus gave himself up for you. So that means that believing in Jesus as the unique son of God, believing in Jesus as the savior of the world, this is what it means. The choir sung this to us a number of times. Death is dead. Love has won, Christ has conquered, Christ is risen from the dead. I mean, just, just think of what that does for your week in the middle of your sad memory, in the middle of your bad dream, in the middle of your nightmare, in the middle of your terror. If you're in Christ, death is dead and love has won because Christ has conquered and Christ is risen. And if you are believing in Jesus, that means you're His. And if that's true, then as we have sung many times these words, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. How do we know that's true? Because Christ is risen from the dead. See, Christianity is not just Easter Sunday. Christianity is not just Sunday. It's every Sunday, and it's, it's every Tuesday, and it's every Thursday. It's every single second of every single minute of every single day of every single year forever and ever and ever because of Christ. 
We are not believing in silly, old, outdated, dead statutes. We are delighting in and we, we are believing in heavenly realities, heavenly truths. We're believing in historical realities and historical truths. We're believing in spiritual realities and spiritual truths. After Jesus was risen from the dead, he came up on a couple of folks walking down a road on the way to a place called Emmaus. And on that day, on that road, Jesus said to them that what we know is the Old Testament was this fantastic best ever Super Bowl commercial ever, and it was all about him. The message of the Old Testament containing the statutes of the Lord, it's a message about the promise of Jesus. So is there any hope for the problems of sin in this world? Yes. Where do we find that hope? In the statutes of God. Is there any hope for the problem of evil in this world? Yes. Where do we find that? In the statutes of God. Is there any help for your problems in your marriage today? Yes. And where do we find that hope? In the statutes of God. Is there any hope for the problems of education or finances or government or, or sickness of depression or, or nightmare? Is there any hope for those things? Yes. Where do we find that hope? In the statutes of God. Why and how? Because the statutes of God direct us to Jesus. And he is the hope of all hopes. When the psalmist was writing these words, he just had a glimpse. I mean, he, he, he's, he's writing down some prophecy almost. He's writing some things that, that might happen based on the promises of God. So he's just got this glimpse of what the statutes of the Lord are all about. He has no idea, as Spurgeon said, that there is an infinite ocean of satisfaction behind his words. That statue was pointing to Jesus. And because of his death and because of his resurrection, Jesus has opened the floodgates to that infinite ocean of joy and satisfaction. So because of who Jesus is, please, please understand that because of, of everything in the Scripture, there is with Jesus fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. But without Jesus... There is no joy. There is no pleasure. In fact, without Jesus, the whole of the Bible tells us that the only thing there is is terror and horror and darkness and dread and death forever and ever and ever. Thanks for the good news, Dal. Sounds great. Glad I came to church today. But you know, this is how the Bible speaks to us, and it speaks to us for a reason. So, so we want you to know that this morning, People in this church have prayed that if you have never repented and turned to Jesus, that with the help of the Spirit of God, you would be compelled to yield and surrender your whole life to him. So we would plead with you, come to Jesus, believe, 
and be saved and live and, and start delighting in the statutes of the Lord. Just one more quick comment if you're still thinking in your mind, I don't like rules. I don't like statutes. I don't like ordinances. I don't like regulations. One of our local hospitals has this in their orientation guide for new employees. Hand washing in between each patient contact is critical. Listen, you may puff up with stubborn pride when a statute is pressed into your life by the government, by the company, by the school, by the church, or or wherever else. But I guarantee you, you love a statute that tells your surgeon he's got to wash that breakfast burrito off of his hands before he does heart surgery, right? See, we, we want to push against the rules. We want to push against the statutes. We want to push against the ordinances. But if we are in any way honest with ourselves, we love rules, love them. We love statutes. We love ordinances. We just don't always admit it. Now, granted, are there some bad ones out there? Sure. But see, the the Lord's statutes are not like that. So so please consider this, that that if you would love a statute that makes sure that, that your heart surgeon washes his hands before he handles your physical heart, how much more should you love a statute that exists to rescue your spiritual heart, to rescue your very soul? Please don't be stubborn. Don't don't push away from the Lord. Hear his truth. Repent and come to Jesus and live. So what does any of this stuff about the Bible and statutes, what does that have to do with nightmares? What does that have to do with, with having bad dreams? Well, Psalmist tells us with his next phrase, verse 16, I shall not forget your word. Nightmares vary from person to person. Everybody's nightmares are a little bit different. But, but research shows that there's some categories that we kind of all have certain nightmares. Now, this is kind of a, a little list of, of what those are. A fear of being chased, a fear of falling, a fear of death, a fear of not being able to find a restroom. That's a legit right there, right? A fear of having your teeth fall out. I, I, I just, sorry, I don't, I don't know. I'll, I, maybe I'll figure that out later. A fear of the world running out of Applewood smoked bacon. That might just be my nightmare. That may not apply to you. But but we all have fears. We all have things that that will pop up in our nightmares from time to time. And there's a lot of research out there right now. They're trying trying to help people who are struggling with nightmares. And in particular, they're trying to figure out how nightmares start. What what causes nightmares? And again, we're all different. And so there's no hard, fast rule on this, but they've, they've isolated a handful of things that they think could be triggers for nightmares. So here's just a, a few of those things. Late night snacks, we talked about that last week, because uh, they, they increase your metabolism. Uh, drugs, alcohol, reactions to prescription medication, a lack of sleep, anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, and other health issues. Now, all of those things, maybe, according to research, could trigger some nightmares. And all of those things in some way kind of affect your, your physical body. But, you know, we're, we're not just robots with body parts, right? I mean, we have emotions, and we have intellect, and we have desires, and, and we have attitudes. And, and these things are a part of who we are. 
And in ancient times, they called the place where all those things live, they just called it simply the heart. The heart is, is the center of who you are. This is what Jesus said, Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. The devil doesn't make you do it. Now, Jesus says that, that it proceeds from inside of you. The evil and the good, it, it proceeds from inside of us. Our heart is the main thing of who you are. Your heart is who you are. And so the heart is a, is a pretty big deal. We can't just ignore the heart. Those nightmare triggers, those things that might cause it, those things do affect our body. But here's the thing. Because all of our spiritual and physical life all flow through the heart, that means that even our nightmares flow through the heart. So what do we do with that? What, what do we do with this information that our heart is the, the center of who we are and it even is where the nightmares flow through? Is there any hope for dealing with that problem? Yes, there's major hope. Pastor and biblical counselor Heath Lambert says this, since Jesus says that our thoughts spring from our hearts, even when we are asleep, one of the best things we can do to shape our heart is to inform it with the word of God. So how do we do that? How do we inform our hearts with the word of God? Psalmist already told us, right? He said, don't forget it. Don't forget your word. Listen, a nightmare is a very real experience. <laughs> it's very real. But it's not real. A nightmare is, is crazy realistic. It is crazy disturbing. But it is still a dysfunctional bad dream. The Bible, on the other hand, is real. The Bible is, is not a dream. Jesus has already declared about the Old Testament that the Old Testament itself was, was this commercial, this profound work of, of everything about who he was and what he was going to do. R.C. Sproul said this, one of the most astonishing things, of course, is that the Bible has literally thousands of testable historical prophecies, cases in which events were clearly foretold, and both the foretelling and the fulfillment are a matter of historical record. And then he goes on. The very dimension of the sheer fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament scriptures should be enough to convince anyone that we are dealing with a supernatural piece of literature. So that's just the Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament, the writings of the Old Testament, it, it's, not, it's not a bad dream, it's not a nightmare, it's not a fairy tale, it's not make-believe. There are tons of evidences for the historical truth of all that we see and know and read there. And then the New Testament. The New Testament is like a biography about Jesus, heavy on eyewitness accounts, telling about the person of Jesus and what he did and the church that he created. A bad dream is a bad dream. A nightmare is a nightmare, but they are not real. But God's word is real. The Bible is, is real. The Bible is God's divinely inspired written truth for our hearts. He wanted us to know some things about his character and his ways and his work and his son Jesus. So he made sure they were written down. So the psalmist is being extremely kind to us. When the psalmist writes, do not forget this word. Don't forget it. Don't, don't let it get away. 
He's given us hope for our nightmares, the ones in the middle of the night and the ones in the middle of the day. All those nightmares, they, they are triggers. Some of those triggers will, will move us into a nightmare. What happens is those triggers, they, they begin to crowd us. We begin to be crowded with fear and worry and anger and anxiety and apathy and, and worry and stress and, and all these things. They, they just start pouring. And before we go to bed, I, maybe this is just me, but sometimes before we go to bed, boy, our minds are a crowded house of emotions. We can't think. I love what... Albert Barnes wrote about this verse. I will not allow the world to crowd it out of my mind. I love it. He said, I will not allow the world to crowd out the statutes of the Lord from my mind. They are too real. They are too good. I need to make sure that I don't forget God's word. But someone might say, ah, I don't like reading. <laughs> I just, I'm not a good reader. In the Bible, oh, it's written so long ago. I mean, the, the things that are written there, they, they just, I don't know, they're, they're not current, they're not modern, they, they don't apply. I, I don't know, I have a hard time reading the Bible. And even if I read it, I, I mean, I don't remember what I read. I mean, I don't remember what I had for breakfast, so I, I can't remember a Bible verse, much less more than one. Bruce Hurt said this, men will only guard what is valuable. There are not many guards posted at the local city dump, but there are armed guards and security measures at the bank or the expensive jewelry store because of the great value in these places. Just a, a bit of a gracious guilt trip here. Because of what Jesus said, because of what Paul said, because of what Peter said, because of what the psalmist said, because of what Augustine said and Luther said and Billy Graham said, because of what some of your parents and grandparents said about the Bible, if you are professing to be a Christian, the Bible must be highly valuable to you. Has to be. In fact, if we just take Jesus, if we just take the things that Jesus said about the Bible, about God's Word, about God's truth, if we just took those things, and we apply them to the life of a Christian. And a professing Christian says, ah, I don't know. I, I don't care much for the Bible. Then at the very least, your salvation is sketchy. Because Jesus spoke highly of God's truth, spoke highly of God's word. And the psalmist is, is pleading with us to not forget it. It is that valuable. It's that good for your soul. But what about nightmares? I mean, how is the Bible good for a nightmare? All right, let's just step into this for a second, okay? So imagine right before you go to bed, you read this. Psalm 46, verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. That sounds like kind of a big deal, right? Why would we not fear? Look, if global warming 
causes the mountains to slide down into the sea and everything be destroyed, why should a Christian not be afraid? (laughs) This, this, This sounds a bit crazy, right? If everything were to be destroyed and and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, why should someone who claims to follow Jesus Christ not be afraid? Well, Psalmist told us in the verse right before this, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So you put those together, it's great, right? God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's very present help in time of trouble. That's why I will not be afraid even if the mountains slip into the seas. See, we should not go to bed with fear because of that. Because God is our refuge and God is our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. But someone might say, well, what happens if I read that verse before I go to bed? And I still have a terrible nightmare. What then? Here's the thing. Nothing will have changed. In the middle of the night, in the middle of your nightmare, God is still our refuge. He's still our strength. He's still a very present help in times of trouble. It doesn't change. Your nightmare, your bad dream, it might be different from night to night. But every night at 3 o'clock in the morning, God is our refuge and God is our strength. And he is a very present help in times of trouble. It never changes. Someone might say, but but what if I read that verse before I go to bed and I don't wake up? What, What if I die in my sleep? Well, if you are in Christ, nothing will change. God is still our refuge. He is still our strength. He is still a very present help in time of trouble. This is who he is. This is why the psalmist says, don't don't forget this. Don't let this slip out of your mind. Don't make excuses about being a bad reader. Read God's word. Find your way to God's truth. We should not fear. We should delight in the statutes of the Lord. We should hold the Bible as very valuable. We should not forget these truths. Why? Because no power of hell and no scheme of man and no bad dream, and no night terror, and no nightmare can ever pluck you from his hand. Now I lay me down to sleep with that, and I never forget it.